hello! Wow, that was nice and welcoming. Thank you. Uh, how are you all? Are you feeling good? Fantastic. Well, here we are, day two, session three, two o'clock, after lunch, also known as nap time. Therefore, if you sleep during this session, I will grab this lamp and I will come down there and I, no, I won't do any of that, but I will chuck light bulbs at your neck, okay? If, if, uh. If you fall asleep on me. Uh, I don't think you're going to fall asleep. Because I think that Jesus has some stuff that he wants to say to us. So everybody ready to hear some stuff from the Lord God Almighty? Can you keep going? <laughs> Good. I love that. Well, I want to just make sure that, uh, that everybody's kind of here and present and accounted for. And I always like to know who I'm hanging out with just a little bit before we get started. So... Uh, in order to do so, I just want to see, let's see, how many of you are, uh, how many of you are in junior high? Okay, not so bad. Uh, how, they're always a little timid, a little scared, junior high. And you can tell, because n- nobody over here screamed, <laughs> they're all over there. Oh, God. <laughs> Don't come over here, big people. Um... Let's see, then how many of you, uh, so that would put most of you in high school, is that right? Okay. Uh, how about the collegiate force? Anyone in uh, college? Good. Okay. Old people? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Youth pastors didn't know what to do on that one. Uh, don't know what to say. Go ahead in a minute, you're old. It's okay. Uh, we like you that way. At least I like me that way. Um, let's see. So let's, do, let's just real quick, let's run through the high school folks because I love you so much. Uh, how many of you are, uh, how many of you are juniors? Any juniors around? It's good. That's good. That's important. Okay. Sophomores? Mm-hmm. How about the, uh, how about the freshmen's? I just, I do this with tag all the time. I can't help but point out what happens every time you do that. Because if you just, if you want to talk to those groups of people, you, juniors are like, Bruh. and then sophomores, it's like, Bruh. and then freshmen, it's like, and, and, and it's always the boys. Because the girls are all like, Bruh. so awkward. Uh, um, then of course, if you go back to junior high, they're still scared. Oh, but they're getting more brave. Oh, I can scream too. Okay, good. Uh, I'm not finished yet. And then, uh, how about my friends, the seniors? Okay, I got a pretty good vibe. I'm feeling pretty good about who you are and where you are. Uh, listen, we're so glad to have you at Desperation. We're pumped about what Jesus has planned for all of us. And that's student ministries, and that's also just for you in your own life. And individually, I know that he's got plans and purposes and things that he wants to accomplish for you. And I can't wait to see over the course of the weekend how that unfolds and carries out into the rest of your life. This is a great weekend. says this section. Uh, oh, so are you telling me that you're like the cool section? I don't know, because I got a lot of friends. I got a lot of friends around here. Uh, they're called Tag and JV Tag. Sorry, they win. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, I love you. Uh, all right, so... Um, we need to dive in here to the, what we're going to be doing this afternoon, but um, I just, I, I wanted to share a piece of my life with you, as often I like to. Uh, 
Some of you know who I am. If you don't, I, my name is Brent Parson. I'm the youth pastor here, New Life Church, and I, I thank you, friends. I have two friends over here, and uh, I've been here. I've been here for nine years, and love being here. Love what God is doing here. And, um, some of you know me as that youth pastor. You guys do. Um, some of you know me because you've heard me speak at Desperation before. Um, many of you probably know me as the guy who, at one point in a freak tubing accident, lost half my face. Yeah, that's unfortunate. But I'm not going to tell you that. I, I'd like to tell you another part of my story, though. Um, and this, this happened when I was uh, a wee little lad, probably about eight or nine years old. I'm eight, maybe nine. Uh, we, we go camping on this camping trip. It was uh, my family and... Uh, a bunch of other families. You ever do those kind of trips? We go, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> that, that, really, I didn't need you to answer that, but that's okay. Uh, we, we went on one of those camera trips. All the families get together. Everybody's got their tents. Everybody's got their stuff. Everyone's excited, getting ready to go. And so we went up into the mountains and beautiful spot, beautiful location, gorgeous trees and, and uh, great big grassy fields and lovely meadows and Bambi skipping through the forest and birds that would, you know, come fly around and land on your shoulder and you'd sing songs to them and pet the deer and Walt Disney would walk by and it was weird. So... So is that kind of, I mean, just gorgeous, gorgeous place. Well, one afternoon, we're all just hanging out. And remember, I'm pretty young. And so there's all these families, which means lots more young kids around. And not a lot of older kids, just young kids. And so there we are, hanging, chilling, having fun. And the parents all decide to go ahead and go for a walk, go for a hike, hang out in the mountains, have a good time. Well... I don't know why this happened, but they all just kind of dispersed. Maybe some of them were sleeping in tents, taking a nap in the afternoon. But I just know that parents weren't really around. And so... We, all the kids, got together, and even though it was a gorgeous setting, we're having a great time camping on this on this lovely afternoon. It was a little bit chilly, just a, just a slight chill in the air, and so we decided. Let's light a fire. And so we got all the stuff. We got some wood. We get, I remember little kids running through the trees <laughs> and getting branches and stuff. And, you know, we were small, so it's like little twigs, <laughs> bringing those and putting them down. Gonna need more. And, and took us, you know, about five hours to get that done. So we finally had this huge uh, pile of twigs and sticks and logs and, you know, bunnies and whatever else we could find. And, uh, I'm kidding. And so, so we get all, we get all of the stuff and we're ready to go and everyone's kind of looking around and it's not like, it's not like all the parents are being super irresponsible. I mean, there were some teenagers, like, you know, maybe 13 or so. And so just mildly irresponsible. So we're out there and we're ready to light the fire and we're looking around. Who knows how to light a fire? Of course, it was more like, who knows how to light a fire? And... So we, we find some matches, but that's not really working. And so a bunch of little kids were like, I don't know. And one of us has a bright idea. Oh, dad uses this liquid when he cooks food. And so I'm going to stop doing that voice because I'm creeping myself out. So we took the, we took the uh, lighter fluid and we... We decided to, you know, pour it on the little, uh, well, the big uh, bonfire thing we had going on. And we just went nuts because we just didn't know how much you're supposed to use. Well, the answer to that would really be none. But we put a whole bunch on there. And so we just kept spraying. I mean, kids are having conversations. They're singing songs. Jesus loves me. All the while doing this, you know, Mary had a little, another bottle, please, little lamb. And we're going crazy on lighter fluid everywhere. So now it comes time to light the fire. So, so someone pulls out the matches, lights one up, and just tosses it on there. All of us are standing right around it. <laughs> Until the moment that the fire goes, 
It was like, it was like this nuclear explosion. It was, I mean, I swear, I don't know how the parents did not come running because it was mushroom cloud. So, and it wasn't, the problem really was that it wasn't just in the fire pit so much as it was just everywhere. It was spilling out over the rocks. And so we're all standing there. Our shoes are catching fire. So you got to picture all these 13s and youngers. Everybody just starts screaming. Aah! And everyone's running around the campfire. And of course, no one's putting it out. We're just screaming. Meanwhile, Bambi's like, help me, help me. And it's this whole disastrous thing. Finally, somebody responsible, the 12-year-old, gets like... A blanket or a, a coat from the nine-year-old. Unfortunately, he was still in it. And it's like, you know, trying to bet on. Everybody stepping on. I remember myself. I'm like, yeah! I see this heroic moment. So I'm like jumping in there and I'm stepping on fire. Meanwhile, my legs just catching fire. Like, ah! Once again. And it was just this horrendous horrible experience. Finally, we got it out and you get the thing out and it's just kind of an okay fire now and everybody kind of sits around. I love you, man. And really what we were waiting for is when's the first parent going to come out and we are going to be destroyed. Oddly enough, none of us got in trouble that day. And, uh, you probably think I don't have a point. You're probably right. But actually, maybe I do. Because I think that there's a dynamic happening here this weekend where Jesus is wanting to do a similar thing in you. Now, that story that I just told you, that's more like light up the forest <laughs> and Bambi and Bambi's mom. I love animals by the way. So, uh, that, that's kind of more of a light up the forest type of a moment. Uh, but we are here at desperation, light up the world. And I am convinced that there is something powerful that Jesus wants to do in you. And this, you know, when we pray about these themes and we consider what we're going to do, what we're going to call it, where we're going to go, it's not because it's the new cool thing and, ooh, that font looks good. That would be a nice gobo. <laughs> if you don't know what a gobo is, don't worry about it. You can just wonder the whole time I'm speaking. It's the lights back there. It, it looks really good. No, it's not about that. What, we, what we're looking for is, God, what are you saying? What do you want to do? What do you want to do this, this summer at this conference, at this event? What is it that you want to say? And he wants to say to all of you, I want to use you to light up this world. And I think what's going on here is that he's taking some of his Holy Spirit lighter fluid and he's trying to do the same thing that we as foolish children were doing. He's trying to just get your heart and, and, and get that, his, his fluid, his lighter fluid, his spark. And that's good. You might be able to light up your little sister. And I mean that in the best way. I don't mean like pyro way. Yeah, let her burn. Even though some of you would like to do that. I know some of you are disappointed because you're like, dude, I thought this was like pyro conference. It's not a pyromaniac conference and where's the flames, brah? Weirdos. I think that's coming though. But it says, hmm, it's good. You might be able to do something with a family member. That's awesome. Okay, well, maybe there's more though. Come on, let me have a little more of you. Come on, come to me a little more. <laughs> yes, Lord. A little more. Okay, that's good. Now, now I can see. Boy, you're ready. You're ready for me to use you to reach your family. That's awesome. How about a little more? Ooh, now we're getting into your school. How about a little more? Ooh, we're heading into the city now. Oh, we could be talking states. Oh, we could be talking nation. 
Ooh, we could be talking now nations of the world. See, I'm crazy enough to think, nah, scratch that. I just know that's the way God thinks about you. I don't think it's even crazy. I think that Jesus just wants to use you to light up this world for him. So today I want to talk to you about, kind of want to begin us down that road and and that journey. And uh, you know, I'd love to just take a second and pray with you, if you don't mind, and I know that you don't. Would you close your eyes? Would you just kind of lift your hands out to him? If you're willing today, if you're willing, God, do something in me. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, settle in to this crew. God, would you speak through me the words of God, not my own will or agenda or purpose, but yours. And would you let your presence and your power rest on it? And would you drive it into the hearts of my friends? And would you call them to do everything that you've destined for them to accomplish in their generation? Thank you for what you will do. God, help me to be sharp. And Lord, help their ears to hear in Jesus' name. And everybody said, right on, right on. If you got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. You got your Bibles? Oh, too weak. You got your Bibles? I like it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 17. This is obvious. But I want to take a little time and read it one more time. We read it last night. I want to do it again. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 14, going through verse 17. It says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now this is just a fantastic passage. Because this is what every one of us are called to be. Notice that I I don't want to use the terminology, it's what we're called to do, there is doing, but reference Pastor Brady's talk this morning. This is what we're all called to be, to be the light of the world, to shine brightly, so brightly that everybody can see, and they see your life shining bright, and as they see that light, that that, they don't praise you or say, hey, good job you, or well done you, man, you're really a go-getter for the kingdom. No, they see your life. And they do what? Praise your Father in heaven. They give all the glory to Him. And that's really the goal for all of us, isn't it? To be the ones that kind of show forth that light and show forth that glory. And see God do what He wants to do in our generation. But, I don't know about you, I see it from time to time where we're not always as effective as we could be. We struggle, we fight, we push, we have some issues from time to time. Anybody got issues from time to time? Half the room. Okay, the other half, you need to teach us because we're a bunch of losers. <laughs> All of us have issues from time to time. Stuff that we deal with. And I heard a preacher recently say something that I thought was very, very profound. And he said this. He said, the reason a lot of times that we don't make a difference in our world is because we ain't that different. Chew on it for a while. I'm kidding. The reason we don't make a difference is because a lot of times we just ain't that different. And the truth is that we aren't going to change anything in our world, in our culture, in our schools, in our families. We won't be able to do any of the things that God wants us to do until we get changed. Until there's a work An internal thing that goes on in our hearts. And when that moment happens, then God can begin to use us. But until that thing happens, we're going to be stuck a lot of times. 
I mean, I, I don't know about you, but as I look around and I look at my own life from time to time, I see it. I'm not all that different. Sometimes I just go through stuff. Sometimes I don't have joy, like we talked about last night. There's no difference in me. There's nothing that marks me sometimes. As I went through high school, I had some major stuff and obstacles that I went through. I mean, it was easy sometimes to look like the world, to dress like the world, to do what the world does, to smell like the world. I don't know what that means exactly, but you can make it up for yourself. To, to, sometimes there were times where I just struggled through some of those issues of life, and I just wasn't different. But man, we sure try to continue to change the world without letting that internal thing go on inside of us sometimes. Don't you think? Sometimes we just keep, we keep it's, and it's not bad, it's not a horrible thing that you keep trying and keep pressing, but I think there are some internal things that really have to happen if we're ever going to really be what Jesus wants us to be. And we can't just keep trying in the doing. Just like Pastor Brady talked about, we can't just keep trying in the doing of this thing. We have to settle in and we have to start becoming something else. But we sure try. We keep working on the next big event, the next outreach, the, the next way of reaching somebody without letting an internal work transform us. And I think the very best way to change the world and to light up the world is to be that light starting inside first. Don't you agree? So instead of just trying to do the next thing, well, what's the new band that we could bring in? Well, what's the new thing that we could do in our small group? Or what's the new outreach group that we could do? How could we develop a means of reaching somebody else without having this internal work? I remember in college, this is so embarrassing. I can't believe I'm going to tell this story. I'm such a loser. We, we, we had this joke. I swear it was a joke. But we, we, were, we were doing some traveling and we were... Uh, we were doing some music and we were over in South Africa and there was just, there were times when we would do some stuff and it was me and, uh, Glenn Packham and John Egan and, uh, this is years ago, okay? I'm super old now, so this is like, you know, uh, 10, 11, whatever, a lot of years ago, alright? So, we're over, uh, overseas and there just were times where, you know, we're young college guys and so we're loving Jesus, but sometimes girls would come up and they'd be like, oh, you know, you love the Lord, you're awesome. <laughs> and we'd be like, yeah, and it's so stupid. It's embarrassing now, but, but we, <laughs> oh, Brent, what are you doing? We, we had this joke where we created this ministry. can't believe I tied this to me. We had this joke, we had this ministry, and we called it, fellas, you can take this if you want, Studs for Christ. <laughs> now, you've heard of missionary dating, no doubt. You heard of missionary dating? Where, you know, you, you start dating someone thinking, oh, I'm, I'm going to date them so I can bring them into the kingdom. Uh, garbage, that never works out right. But... But we, we developed this ministry called it Studs for Christ. And we even had our own motto, our own, our own slogan. And you're going to like this. And please feel free to never use this. But it was Studs for Christ. Turning the ladies from our face to his. I'll tell you, powerful, powerful ministry. Full of pride and arrogance and foolishness. <laughs> but isn't, uh, don't be high five and I see you guys. And they're like, yeah, write that down. I'm trying it out. Starting now. Hey, ladies. us today to stop. Just stop. Stop looking for the next big thing and start looking to say, how can we just, how can we let Jesus really change us? What's the, what's the thing that I got to do to let Jesus come in, fill me and flood me so that now I can be changed and transformed on the inside? Because 
here's the thing. I don't think that he's really that interested in any of us being the best, having the best ministry, the best argument, the best new idea, the best thing to do. I think he's just interested in us becoming changed. Because you can argue with the guy who's got the best argument. If you don't believe, you, you, I mean, you can argue all day and that's fine. But it's really hard to argue with the blind guy who got changed and can now see. Does that make sense to you? I don't think we should try to be so much the best guy with the best idea. Let's just be the guy that was changed by Jesus. And let's go into the world with that thing. Let's start there and then see what Jesus is going to do from there. You can't argue with the blind guy that can see. You can't argue with the lame guy that can walk. And I don't mean lame in the sense that you think of lame. Oh, that dude is so lame. Oh, yeah, I totally know. He even has that lame walk. <laughs> hey, lame guy got healed. He can walk normal. I don't mean that. I mean, I mean the lame guy, the guy with broken legs. It's now up and walking. It's hard to argue with that guy. It's hard to argue. It's hard to hard to to resist the guy who could not hear. He was deaf, and now he can hear. It's hard to argue with the guy who was t- a total wreck, a total mess, and Jesus came in and from the inside out started to transform his life. And you look at him from one school year, that he was just a wreck and a disaster, and to the next school year, and Jesus changed his heart, changed his life. And you go, who is that guy? And he tells you about Jesus. It's hard, really hard, to say, "Eh, I don't know. I think people look at that and go, man, something happened. What was it? And you know, this change from the inside out, I think this is, this is really the reason why we have the vow here at Desperation. How many of you know what the vow is? Okay? I'll say most of you. But the vow. There's, there, there is a desperation vow. And if you're not sure what it is, you're going to be asked to participate in the vow by the end of the weekend. But the vow is this. It's what we're after. It's what we want to see happen all across the world. We want students, men and women, to sign up for desperate pursuit of God, for diligent prayer, for living with consecrated hearts and focused lives. That's what we're after. And that vow, it's the vehicle to becoming what God wants us to be. Understand, it's not the doing. Reference Brady's talk again. It's not so much the doing that we're after. It's the becoming. And so the vow is the vehicle for you to just become what God wants you to be. The vow is, what we're saying is, don't just sign on to do uh, diligent prayer. Don't just sign on to do uh, desperate pursuit. No, sign on to become. Become the desperate pursuer of God. Become the diligent prayer guy or girl. Become the one who lives the consecrated heart after God and fasts. Become the individual with the focused life. Enough of the doing. When are we going to get down to business and get changed and start the becoming? Everything that God wants us to be. And I think that Pastor Brady has set us up so well talking to us about being sons and daughters. How many of you know you are a son and a daughter? That was okay. Look, 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 look. I'm not all into the hypey, screamy stuff. Well, kind of. But, uh, but I love when you know it. I love when you get it. I love for you to tell me when you get it. Do you know? Did you get it? You're a son. And a daughter. Did you hear it? Is there a revelation beginning in your heart? Your father loves you. Did you get it? Just checking. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 58. 
Isaiah chapter 58, starting in, uh, well, we're just going to start in verse 1. We're just going to start rolling. I'm going to do something today that I don't always do. I'm going to read some from the Message Bible. I don't, I don't typically do this. I, I really like the Message Bible a lot. It's a great kind of a paraphrase uh, of Scripture and, and Eugene Peterson, who worked with scholars to do that. I, I respect him a lot and the work that he has done. But even Eugene Peterson, he'll say, hey, listen, read this thing. But at some point, I want you to go out and get yourself a good study Bible. And I don't want you to read up on that. So I want you to be aware of what we're reading today. And if I'm going to read from the Message Bible, I want you to all say, uh, Brent, oh, this is good. This is like David. Just raise your right hand. Okay, say, Pastor Brent. I'm going to go later. And I'm going to read Isaiah 58 from a good study Bible and dig in. You're awesome. Okay. Isaiah 58 verse 1 from the Message Bible. Here's what it says. Shout! A full-throated shout. Hold nothing back. A trumpet blast shout. Tell my people what's wrong with their lives. Face my family Jacob with their sins. They're busy, busy, busy at worship. And love studying all about me. To all appearances, they're a nation of right-living people, law-abiding, God-honoring. They ask me, what's the right thing to do? And love having me on their side. But they also complain. Why do we fast and you don't look our way? Why do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? Well, here's why. Let's stop there for just a second. I think you could walk through this passage of scripture and you could, you could see this as a major, major rebuke. And I think there is a rebuke here. And I don't know about you, but depending on what lens you read this through, you're going to either see it as, uh, you know, you'll see it as an orphan or a slave or a son or daughter. And I want to encourage you for a few moments to think of it in the lens of a son or a daughter, not as a slave. Because if you're a slave, you're going to read this and go, oh man, we're about to get nailed. And there is rebuke to this, but I want you to look at it through the lens of a son or daughter because in this passage of scripture, there is great hope. There is great hope that Jesus is presenting to you because he's actually coming as Jesus always does as your father to come and rescue you. So I want you to read this with me through that lens this morning that you are hopeful, hopeful in what God's going to do. Um, So what he's saying here is that you seem to be doing a lot of the right stuff. I see it. You know, you're doing. You're good at the doing. Great job with the doing. You're busy. Busy, busy in worship. Okay. You're you're, you're there and you're studying scripture. To all appearances, a good nation, right living people, law abiding. You even ask me from time to time, hey God, what should we do about this? Love having me there hanging out with you. But there's this disconnect that you have with me. There's a disconnect between you and I. I think what's happening here is he's kind of saying, you, you, you have this lifestyle. You're doing all these things. But you're far removed. And I think we've already hit on the issue. There's no need to cover it really much more. We're just not quite yet becoming everything that he wants us to become. And I want to find out why. He says, well, here's why. The bottom line, he says, is on your fast days. It's not fast days like (laughs) running fast. (laughs) The bottom line on your days of fasting, when you're asking, why do we fast and you don't look our way? Why do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? This is why the bottom line on those fast days is profit. It's for you. It's something that you're going after. It's something that you are seeking for yourself. You're doing a lot of good. You're trying, but you're not yet becoming. Bottom line is, your profit, your religious activity, your life has become self-serving. And I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of reasons why this happens. I think there's a lot of reasons why we kind of get into this scenario. 
Go to Matthew chapter 23. I think you could go the route of No, let's just read this passage real quick. Matthew chapter 23, verse 25. Here it is. This kind of references what Brady was saying earlier. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. See, I don't want this to be the picture of us in our generation. I don't want us to be so good at the conference and the things and the stuff that we do. And inside, we're not transformed and we're not changed. So it's just on the outside, everything looks perfect. I mean, think of what he's saying there. Think of the the cup and think of the, the, the mess. Just picture it in your mind for a second. I don't know if you ever did this, but when I was uh, in high school and maybe sometimes since, when I was uh, had to do dishes, anybody ever get dish duty with your family? <laughs> so, so I would get dish duty and uh, I would always find a way to just kind of escape at that moment. You get dish duty and you're like, uh, I got to go to the bathroom. So you, anybody ever try that one? Because I just didn't want to mess with it. It was, so, ugh, it was such a pain. My wife's a genius at this actually when she was younger. She had uh, her, her brother, Mike, she would just kind of say, okay, I know he disappears. So I'm going to divide the dishes in half equally, this many plates, this many cups, and then... Uh, she would wash this and be very faithful. Mike would be in the bathroom for two hours. <laughs> and, then, and then he would come out, uh, this is done. And they're like, dude, what happened to you? <laughs> and he would never answer that question. And then, and then he would have to do it. Beside the point. But when you take the dish, when you've got dish duty, and you take that cup and you look at all the stuff and the gunk and the crud that's around it, whenever you take that and you start working on the inside, you clean that up, and then as you're washing it, your, your hand is also moving around the outside, and both are happening. See, this, this is the work that Jesus wants to do, to start on the inside of you and to work the way out. It's the same with this whitewashed tomb thing. How many people in our generation are looking like these whitewashed tombs? Think of the imagery of this, a whitewashed tomb where you are, you are a beautiful, gorgeous thing on the outside. You look just right. You look perfect. You're gorgeous. Studs for Christ, turning boys from our face to his. That's the ladies' motto that time, sorry. Studettes for Christ. Just, I'm equal opportunity. But think of the imagery that he's using. You've got like these gorgeous, this gorgeous uh, tomb, whitewashed tomb. But inside it's just full of dead men's bones. And I think there's lots of reasons why we end up being that way from time to time. I think, obviously, as Jesus is talking here, he's talking about being hypocritical. He's talking about some issues and some major sin issues. But again, I want to approach this from the perspective of son and daughter. And I want you to look at it not from the perspective of, uh, man, I'm such a loser, man, I'm such a sinner, and all those things. I want you to look at from the perspective of, like Brady talked about, where we're trying so hard. Because we don't believe in ourselves. We don't believe in the work of Jesus in us. We're trying so hard to do these things because we feel like we've got to wrestle blessings away. Wrestle life away. Wrestle the love of God away from Him. Because we feel like He doesn't want to give it to us unless we manipulate Him in some way. Unless we can kind of twist His arm. And I think maybe that could be one of the reasons applied to this deal here. 
We're, we're trying so hard to, to just get from him what we want. When he's saying, look, you don't have to try to get anything from me like that. You don't have to fight. You don't have to try to fast. You don't have to try to do the works. You don't have to try to do the things to wrestle me or to pull my arm behind my back so that I will do things in your life, so that I will change you, so that I will transform you, and then you can go out and change the world. I don't think that's the way Jesus looks at this. Jesus wants to change you. Your father wants to love you. Your father wants to bless you. He wants to give you all the good things of life. He wants to surround you with his presence and his power. He wants to help you become what you need to become. He wants to help you light up the world. This is a no-brainer for him. It's not hard. He's waiting. The issue lies with us. The issue lies with us kind of not believing, not thinking. I'm not worthy. I can't do it. Or I'm struggling with this sin. Or I can't seem to let go of this. Or there's this girl that I really like and she is hot. And I just can't seem to pull my heart away and give my heart to the Lord. Listen, we got to do away with all of that stuff. We got to trust in our Father. We got to trust in the Lord God Almighty to come and give us all of His riches, to give us His love, to give us His life, to pour into us, transform us, rip all the dead men's bones out of this thing, clean out the junk, pull it out, throw it away. Make us clean so that he can do what he wants to do. Isaiah 58 verse 6 says, This, oh, I, you know what? Let me, read, let me read the rest of this here. Uh, starting back in verse 3. The bottom line on your fasting is prophet. You drive your employees much too hard. You fast, but at the same time you bicker and fight. You fast, but you swing a mean fist. The kind of fasting you do won't get your prayers off the ground. Do you think that this is the kind of fast day I'm after? A day to show off humility? To put on a pious, long face and parade around solemnly in black? Do you call that fasting a fast day that I, God, would like? No. Then he says in verse 6, this is the kind of fast day I'm after. Or in the NIV he says, this is the fast that I have chosen. I don't want you to try to win me over. I don't want you to try so hard to bend my arm. You don't have to bend my arm. Let me love you. There's one thing that I want you to hear here in this moment. Let God love you. Just let him. Let that be the beginning. Let that be the everything. Let that be the place where you start from. Let that be the place that you finish. Let God love you. My heart is overwhelmed for you this afternoon. I stood here in the middle of worship in tears because I looked at all of you. And I knew that God had brought you here for a reason, for a purpose. And I see in you the purpose of God. I see in you an incredible generation to do great things, to become great things for the kingdom of God. But it starts and ends with his love in you. You don't have to twist his arm. This is the fast that I have chosen. The kind of fast I am after. To break the chains of injustice. Get rid of exploitation in the workplace. Free the oppressed. Cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is share your food with the hungry. Invite the homeless poor into your homes. Put clothes on the shivering ill-clad. Being available to your own families. Now listen to this. Do this and the lights will turn on and your lives will turn around at once your righteousness will pave your way the god of glory will secure your passage then when you pray god will answer you'll call out for help and i'll say here i am this is the life that we want to live 
Not a life of pressure. Not a life of fighting or doing. But a life of becoming the sons and daughters that he's already made us. I love this in the beginning of this little chunk of of scripture. Starting in verse 9 where he says, this is the fast I've chosen. Because what he's saying is, look, I have an opinion about this. I have an opinion about how I want you to live. I have decided, I have chosen, I have marked out the way for you to live your life in me. And here, right here in Isaiah 58, he's using this idea of the fast. and That really is what's going down here through the chapter. But I think it's safe enough enough at this point for us to say that this refers to the way God wants us to operate every single day in every aspect of our life. And that is this. His opinion, the way he chose to to, uh, run life and the way he chose to help you and instruct you. It's to let you know it's not about you. It's about him. It's about other people. And what that really means is it's a life of self-sacrifice. That's what he's after. This list that we just read here, all these things, to the kind of fast that I've chosen for you, to break the chains of injustice, to get rid of exploitation in the workplace, to free the oppressed, to cancel debts, to share food with hungry, to invite homeless poor into your home, to put clothes on the shivering ill-clad. Ill-clad, that's a great word, isn't it? I like to say naked, but... Well, I don't like to say naked. I just, ill-clad is an awkward thing to say, you know. You know, I'm not going to go any further down that road. Um, Jesus, thank you that sometimes you help me shut up. Uh, Being available to your own families. He's not giving you the list of things to do. He's not saying, well, you got to do this, and 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 then your light can shine. No, I think he's making the broader point that I want us to take away from today. And that point is, you just need to live your life so that it's not about you. It is self-sacrifice. It's why in Mark chapter uh, Mark chapter 12 and 28 through 31 you find the greatest commandment or greatest commandments perhaps to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself life is not about you the greatest thing you do has zero to do with you it has everything to do with him first and then everybody else and he kind of puts those on somewhat equal footing it's not about you. Surrender. Stop getting him to try to do something for you so that you can light up the world. Just trust him to start becoming who he wants you to be so you can light up the world. Let his purpose come alive in you. Let Psalm 139 really take place in your heart. Where he says, all the days ordained for you, they're written down in my book before one of them came to be. I planned your life ahead of time. I know how I made you. And I want you to do this and this and this and this. And in order to do that, I'm going to fill you with my love and I'm going to help you to do it. You don't have to fight. I think what he's ultimately asking, of course, of us, once we get that idea of loving God first and loving people, Luke 9.23 says, uh, it should be familiar to most of you, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself daily, take up his cross, and follow me. Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Again, has very little to do with you. It has everything to do with sacrificing yourself. Taking up that instrument of death. I mean, you want to carry that to the ultimate. Hello? That's it. You, some of you heard me talk about this, but, you know, that's what he's really asking. He's saying, look, here's what I really want you to do. Not, not, to, not to try to impress me. I'm already impressed by you. You're my son. My daughter, you're impressive. I made you. And uh, I'm good. (laughs) But to take up your cross is a big statement. He's saying, deny yourself, take up your instrument of torture and death and follow me. 
It's like saying, hey, listen, uh, I want you to deny yourself. I want you to take up your uh, electric chair and I want you to follow me every day. Slap some wheels on that sucker and just roll it around every day. That's the life I want you to live. That's how much I want you to sacrifice. I don't want any of you left. I want you to be kind of lessened and let me be your all in all. I mean, think about what he's saying. Think about that life. And so when you start struggling with some issue or something going on, you're denying yourself. You've got your electric chair with you. And you just say, hmm, boy, that thing is really tempting to me. You know what I think I might like to... Not a problem. I just want to die. I want to follow you. So little about you. Not a list of requirements so that your light can shine bright. He's just saying, and don't get me wrong, these things are all important. But what he's saying is, when you share your food with the hungry and when you do all these things, look, this is what I really want. I just want you to live a life that is self forgetful forget yourself I want your life to be self forgetful and outward looking I just want you to kind of forget about all this I want you to forget about studs for Christ please forget about studs for Christ please I want you to forget about all of this and I want you just to look outward let your self sacrifice come out of my love for you and then let it be for the sake of others And not for your sake. So if you're going to sacrifice, if you're going to fast or sacrifice, if you're going to live this kind of a life, yeah, I want you to work. I want you to work to set the oppressed free. I want you to work to free people. That's how I want you to sacrifice. Eat less and give to the hungry. Let that be part of the way that you fast. Let that be a part of the way that you live your life. Wear less expensive clothing and clothe the ill-clad. But dude, have you seen what I'm rocking? Have you seen what I'm carrying around? I'm not going to do that. Make sacrifices. Not just a fast, not just, hey, just go without food. No, I think he's talking about all of life. Of course, fasting is so important. Of course, the, the going, uh, going without food and, and, and drink and those things, that's an important thing. But there's other ways to fast. The point is, it's bigger. It's, it's a lifestyle. Don't just think in terms of, well, I'm going to go without food. I'm going to be really hungry. Think, how can I sacrifice? How can my life, how can I be self-forgetful? Man, I want to buy those jeans. But you know what? If I didn't buy those jeans, I could take some of that money and I could buy some jeans and I could just give it to the Salvation Army. I could go to the family down the street. I could live this kind of a life. I think that's the kind of life that Isaiah 58 is calling us to live. But it's birthed out of love. It's birthed out of a self-sacrifice where we give up and take on all of God because he's already said, I want to do it. It's more than a list of to-dos. It's an inside-out transformation. And as our lives get characterized by this, by this self-forgetful service, we're freely given, freely given, no return ever expected back for us. What happens is then we start to mirror the life and the glory of God. Because the goal, his goal, and the goal of the gospel has never been, never ever been to get. It's always been to give. The goal of the gospel has been to give you eternal life. The goal of the gospel has been to rescue you. The goal of the gospel and the cross of Christ. God's goal from the beginning of, the, of everything. And before that. Was to give you himself. It's that life that he's calling us to live in return. And as we start to figure that thing out. We really start to get it. And from that moment starts to transform on the inside. It starts to gurgle. 
Not because of the lunch you just had. Because the youth pastor took you to some dodgy place downtown. Somebody over here apparently had that. Like, <laughs> oh, sorry. Starts to work in you and that transformation starts to happen as you sacrifice yourself. As you forget yourself. And it starts to work from the inside out. Not because you're doing the right things. You're just saying, God, I just, I just want to forget all of this. And I just want to love you. And I just want to love your people. So what can you do with that? The goal of your life, just like the gospel, can never be to get. It's always got to be to give. When you get out of, you, you start to give out of that love that he has for you. You start to show that you really know him. And that you're in this relationship, this life with him. Not for what you can get, but for what you can give. I think it's the kind of life you start to lean into that Jesus calls real religion. James 1.27 you're familiar with. Real religion. He says it's, it's comprised of this, to look after widows and orphans. To keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And then I think it says religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless. I think it's in the message that it says real religion. The stuff that I'm after. It's not your list of to-dos. It's you figuring out my love and becoming. And then what I love is, let's finish out this chapter because i got to start wrapping this up. Isaiah 58 8 through 14. Let's just roll through it. As you start becoming this, he says now, here's the kind of stuff that I'll be doing through you. So in other words, as you start to give up and be self-sacrificing and self-forgetful and outward-looking, here's what I start to do through you. I don't want to pass this too quick. See, you don't have to do much to become. You just got to surrender. And as you surrender, you say, God, none of me, all of you. He starts then to do. And this is how you light up the world. Isaiah 58, 8 through 14. We already read part of this. Do this and the lights will turn on. Your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. That when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help and I'll say, here I am. If you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins. If you're generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed, oh, let's say that again. Your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I'll give you full life in the emptiest of places. Firm muscles, just like Pastor Parsley. Uh. Strong bones. You'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew, rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything, restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, make the community livable again. If you watch your step on the Sabbath and don't use my holy day for personal advantage, if you treat the Sabbath as a day of joy, God's holy day as a celebration, if you honor it by refusing business as usual, making money, running here and there, then you'll be free to enjoy God. Oh, I'll make you ride high and soar above it all. I'll make you feast on the inheritance of your ancestor Jacob. Yes, God says so. Really? Just one person thinks that's worthwhile? I'll give you everything you need. I'll light up the world through you. You don't have to do it. See, Jesus is already the light of the world, is he not? 
<laughs> Jesus is. He is the light of the world. Is he not? He is everything. He is the bright and shining star. He is glorious. He is magnificent. He is matchless. He is all in all. Jesus already shines brightly. And when you give your life to him and you allow his love to pour into you, that love starts to shine out of you. That's the way you light up the world. And then, I guess the question just becomes, if you can really figure out how to live that life. Oh, look, I understand. I'm just presenting kind of a, an idea. I'm throwing this out. I'm saying, hey, sacrifice yourself. Now, the hard work, the nitty gritty, that comes down to you. That's your job. That's what you've got to figure out. God, what, what do you want me to do? How does, what does this mean for me? And it's hard. It, it's not like, hey, it's just the easiest thing. But God will help you to accomplish it. He's given you everything that you need for life and godliness. But as you start to become and stop trying so much to do, you start becoming. What could he do through you? What could he do to light up this world if all of us started to make those decisions? If all of us started to live a life of self-forgetting, what could he do to light up this world? I have to tell you a really quick story. And then I'm going to shut up. <laughs> Finally, partially. Here's the thing. There's a great group I already introduced you to, Tag, here. And we've kind of worked through this a little bit. And we, we're still trying so much to just learn to be faithful to what God wants us to do. But, you know, we had this this thing that God placed inside of us. As we're figuring out how to become everything he wanted us to become. And last year, he put this design in us where he said, okay, all right, tag, all right, JV tag, if you're going to live a life of self-forget, if you're going to live a life of self-sacrifice, if you're going to go down this road, if you're going to want to follow Isaiah 58, if you're figuring out how to not try to get me to do, but just kind of live in my love and be my sons and daughters, here now, I'm going to start to move and light up the world through you. So I want you to build an orphanage. So we said, okay, let's do that. So we started down the road of building this orphanage. And then we met some people. We met a guy named Kirby, Kirby Patterson. He came along, he's a businessman from the church, and he said, okay, uh, listen, I've built some orphan homes in the past, and I'm going to do it again. And I feel like God has a massive vision for my life, and I think you guys are part of that right now. So what I'm going to do is, I've got, through my business, I've got $60,000 that I would like to give. And then you guys, you, a bunch of high school and junior high kids, if you guys will match, uh, I will match you dollar for dollar, everything that you give, up to $60,000. And so what I want you to think about is maybe this. Maybe God's just not saying, hey, let's, let's, let's build an orphan home. No, let's build four orphan homes. And we said, whoa. Wow, God, is that, is that really... Could you use a bunch of kids who want to sacrifice themselves to light up the world in that way? And he said, yeah. Watch this really quick video. And you can find out kind of some of the rest of the story. Would you bow your heads, please, with me? And just, just kind of settle in for one second. I just want to pray over you. I, um, I don't tell that story or show a video to uh, toot our own horn or to say, hey, isn't, isn't this awesome? Um... We were just letting Jesus do what he wanted to do as we surrendered and gave up, stopped trying so hard, settled in, sacrificed ourselves and listened to what he said and then tried to do it. There's a lot more to that story and there's a lot more that's coming on the way. But a lot of you have your own story 
great things that God has done and really I've kind of meandered around a little bit today to I guess just really get to the idea that what could Jesus do with you that's the point of that story what could Jesus do with you if you really surrendered isn't that the biggest issue we just we just have the hard time fully sacrificing ourselves and giving our all we think I gotta do it I gotta do it I gotta do it you don't gotta do nothing Jesus already did it all you fill up on his love and you sacrifice yourself and you live the way that Isaiah 58 is talking about James 127 and so many other passages what could Jesus do with you to light up the world so I guess my last thing is would you let God for just one moment speak to you you haven't figured out the son-daughter thing, let him speak that to you. But man, then let him talk to you about, hey, here's how I, the King of kings and Lord of lords, would like to fill you as you give yourself to me. And this is how I'd like to light up the world with you. Spirit of God, speak to every man and woman in this building. Let dreams and visions start to come alive because there's a generation that's in desperate need. God, what destinies could be rescued by the destinies in this room? God, what could you do with a room full like this? fully surrendered and motivated. God, my simple and humble prayer is that you would let your dreams to light up the world begin to come alive right now in this moment in this room and be carried on through the weekend until they come to fruition by your love and your life and your glory and your power and not by our doing. We love you in Jesus' name.